The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the, the scripture this morning. As we get into the scripture, uh, I want to encourage uh, a, a few things as we look into the word. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down, things to look forward to, so to speak. And we're going to trust God to reveal some wonderful truths to us this morning. Uh, one thing we're going to find is a good prayer to pray in any situation, right? A good prayer to pray in any situation. Now, I think this is important. I mean, you look at any uh, first responder or military or, or any kind of personnel that are always having to respond to uh, situations where there's risk, where there is challenge, uh, where there's urgency, and those people train. They, they are prepared to respond to those situations and circumstances. And I think as Christians, we need to be able to respond to situations and circumstances by having some prayers ready and, and ready to, to be released when we're faced with challenge or tribulation, we need to kind of know what's a good prayer to pray. Well, this is a good prayer to pray in any situation, so this is one that you can keep at the top of that list. Or no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter where it comes from, this is a prayer that I can run to as a default, and it will be effective uh, no matter what the situation calls for. The second thing we're going to find is what always leads to ruin. What always leads to ruin? Destruction. Frustration, disappointment, uh, uh, failure, what always leads to ruin. Ruin is a word that I don't use very often. I mean, most of the time, if I use ruin, it has to do with the strawberries that were left in the fridge more than two days, and you go and check on them, and they're ruined, you know. So you got to eat those things fast. You can't horse around with those things. So ruin is not a word that I use every day, but take any negative word that communicates failure or loss, and you could substitute it in there. There's something that leads to that, and unfortunately... Uh, we, we need to have a better understanding of what that is. I think a lot of us have trouble in that area, and it's the reason for some heartache and some frustration in different aspects of our life. And then another thing we're going to find is who God promotes. There is a, a personality, there is a lifestyle, there's a, a, a person, so to speak, that God will promote. And there's a, a way for us to position ourselves uh, to be in line for God's promotion in anything that we're needing to see God's hand move in. So as we get into the word, let's just start off with that good prayer to pray in any situation. I mean, we could all come into agreement that we deal with things. We have situations come into our life, and we need to respond in prayer. I want to give you a good prayer to pray in any situation, and it's found in the Psalms. It's found in Psalm 118. We're going to look at verse 24 and then 25. Psalm 118, beginning in verse 24. Now, beginning in verse 24, it's going to sound really familiar to you if you ever went to a, a certain church that maybe uh, we have in common or grew up going to different uh, vacation Bible schools or maybe Sunday school. Depending on your age, this song will have some element of memory to you if you remember these words. It reads like this, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You guys remember the song? I mean, we used to sing that, right? How many of you were kids when you learned that song? How many of you ever sang that song like as grown-ups in a church? Yeah, okay, well, that's good. It, it needs to be a grown-up song. I mean, it's straight out of the Scripture, and it's a wonderful declaration. I mean, it's a confession that God is on His throne, 
that he's sovereign, that his rule and his authority is effective here and now today. So no matter how I feel or no matter what I'm dealing with, I'm going to keep that front and center. He made this day, and therefore I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a wonderful and powerful prayer that leads to a great state of mind. Now here's the backside of that prayer, the, the following verse. The psalmist opens up and he's making this declaration. He's getting his mind straight. He's saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. I mean, this situation and this circumstance that's frustrating me, this difficulty, this trial, this tribulation, this frustration that's right in front of my face, I'm going to get my head straight and I'm going to remind myself that this day isn't random. This day was made in fashion by the Lord God Most High. And there's nothing going on right now that's a shock or a surprise to him. So he starts by getting his head straight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Then he starts by getting his heart straight. He moves on and gets his heart straight. God made this day, now I'm going to get my heart right. Let me rejoice and be glad. I'm not going to let depression come in. I'm not going to be led by fear. I'm not going to be led by anxiety. I'm not going to be led by anger or hurt or vengeance. But I'm going to get my heart right. I got my head right. God is in charge and he's on his throne. Now I've got my heart right. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. Now here comes the prayer. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let me rejoice and be glad in it. And then he prays, O oh Lord, do save. I beseech you. I beseech you, O oh Lord, do send prosperity. If you look up the word prosperity there, you'll find that it has some, some meanings that are probably more common to our language today. One of them is advancement, like promotion. Advancement. One of them is success. And we're familiar with that word, success, to do well at the things that you're doing to accomplish and achieve that which you set out to would be success. So when we're faced with challenge and we're faced with hardship, there's a prayer that we can turn to, a prayer prayed in the Psalms that first of all deal with our mind, our state of mind. We remind ourselves that God made this day, that He's on His throne, that His sovereignty is not out of place, but it's right where it should be. He's ruling and He's reigning. Then we get our heart positioned correctly. I'll rejoice and be glad. I won't be fearful and I won't be depressed. Once we're positioned to make the prayer, we make the prayer for God to save us and to send success. Father, save me and send success. Now, I challenge you to find any aspect of your life where that prayer is not a valid prayer. I could pray that over my marriage. I could pray it over my children. I could pray that prayer over anyone's body that's suffering sickness or disease or any kind of uh, hindrance to health and life. I could pray that prayer over a financial situation. I could pray that prayer over business. I could pray that prayer over any aspect of my living. I want to talk about that success because I believe that the Bible is leading us and guiding us into heavenly success. I think that God loves it when His children are successful. It's the reason why he's committed to continuing to perfect us until Jesus comes back. Because he's devoted to your success. He's devoted to my success. So I want to look at a few things. I want to look at five different things that I believe are biblical that lead to success and prosperity and advancement in God's kingdom. The first thing that I want us to look at is our desires. It's important for us to have desires. Now, the world would take from this, and, and you could find a number of self-help books or success books or leadership books, and they would tell you to have goals. But the Bible talks about having desires. 
desires. They're a good thing. In fact, they're not meant to be even had in secret. In fact, the Word of God tells us to write them down, to make them known. You'll find a passage of Scripture in an odd book in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. How many of you know where Habakkuk is? It sounds like you need a cough drop, right? Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Excuse me while I Habakkuk. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 2. It talks about writing down vision, writing down your goals, writing down your desires so that people can run with them, so that you can run with them, so that you have something documented that you're pursuing. I mean, in my life, I have caught myself before running around. I mean, sometimes I look up and it's, it's already the weekend. Where did the week go? What did I accomplish? What did I achieve? Now, and there's a, a, a difference between someone who is running a race and someone who is running around, right? I mean, both of them are putting in a physical exertion. Both of them are, are spending their energy. Both of them are spending their time. But what's the main difference between somebody who's running a race and somebody who's running around? I mean, I want you to think about that just for a second. What's the difference? The difference between somebody running a race and somebody just running around is a finish line. The one that's running a race has a point that he's trying to achieve, a place that he's trying to go. If he doesn't cross that finish line, he doesn't succeed. The guy that's running around could run around his entire life, never cross any finish line because he doesn't have one. I find myself sometime running around and I have to stop and remind myself I need to set a finish line for this or else I'm just going to run around and I'm not going to get anything done. If I'm going to see success in this, I need to put a finish line out there. I need to put a goal out there. I need to have some point that I'm trying to get to or else I could find myself wasting my time and my energy and accomplishing nothing. So having desires is important. In fact, the scripture talks about having desires. You can write this down for your notes. Psalm 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It means align yourself with God. When we want the same things that God wants, when we like the same things that God likes, when we are pursuing the same things that God is pursuing, then God is going to grant those things into our life. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That tells me that I need to, one, align myself with God, and two, I need to have desires. I need to have desires. I need to desire for God to strengthen my marriage. I need to desire for God to strengthen my faith. I need to desire for God to strengthen my business. I need to desire for God to move on my behalf in every aspect of my life. And you need to do the same. We've got to have desires. Now here's a passage of scripture that should get you excited about having desires, having goals to achieve in your life. It's out of the Proverbs, Proverbs 13 verse 12. Proverbs 13, verse 12, it, it starts a little bit grim, but I want you to hear how it, finish, how it finishes. It reads like this when you read it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When we have desires, when they're aligned with the things that God wants, and when God makes those desires come to pass, it is a tree of life. It's a source of life. I mean, when I think of a tree of life, obviously my mind goes back to Genesis where the tree of life existed. But when I think of a tree of life, 
I think of something that produces. I mean, if you thought of apples, what would you think of? You would think of this little round red fruit that you could eat with caramel in the fall or you could enjoy and it has nourishment. I mean, you would think of the result of, of an apple tree. But if you think of the actual tree itself, you have to think of the thing that produces that. And what God is making, giving us access to, what he's making available here, is a source for satisfaction. When desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. We need to have goals and desires, and they need to be aligned with the Scripture. Another thing that we need to do as we pursue this success, when we're praying this prayer, when we are aligning our, our minds, that God is on His throne in our hearts, that we won't be moved by fear or anxiety when we're praying for God to come and save and to send promotion, send advancement, or send success. We need to check our desires. Another thing that we need to do is surround ourselves with the right people. I want to say that another way. Because the passages of Scripture that we're going to read are very specific. Avoid angry people. Avoid angry people. Here's a couple of passages of Scripture that will help us as we pursue success and advancement in God's kingdom as it concerns why we should avoid angry people. James chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, the anger of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. The anger of man will never achieve what God's called us to. He's called us to success. If we are walking in anger, it's going to be a great hindrance to our walking in promotion and success in God's kingdom, no matter where we're desiring to see that promotion or success. And then it's not just about us not being angry. We shouldn't be around people that are given to anger. I want to give you a passage of Scripture, Proverbs 22, beginning in verse 24. Proverbs chapter 22, beginning in verse 24, it reads like this, Do not associate with men given to anger. Don't associate with hot-tempered men. Here's the reason why. It says, or you will. Will you say you will? I mean, I want you to say that because it's important. It doesn't say you might. It doesn't say you could or, you know, you run the risk of. There's a one in ten chance. It says you will. This is absolute. When you associate with those given to anger, those who lose their temper, it says you will learn his ways and find yourself in trouble. So as we're pursuing success, as we're pursuing advancement, as we're desiring for God to send His heavenly promotion into our life, we need to have desires and we need to make sure that we avoid anger at all times. Avoid it in our lives and avoid associating with it. Now this is something that I, I want to find a solution to in my life because there are things that go on that attempt to provoke anger. So if, if I know that I can make someone angry and they could never accomplish uh, the will of God in their life, and if it were my goal to see to it that they didn't do that, I would be trying to make them angry all the time. I think there's a reason that we have all of these things going on in our life that can provoke anger. If I were your enemy, if I were Satan, and I knew that all I had to do was get you angry and you couldn't accomplish the will of God, then I would make it my mission to keep you pretty hot. So there's something that I want to know because this is something that I would deal with and I, I see there are things every day that come into my life that attempt to provoke anger and I want to see to it that anger has no place in me. And I think there's a solution to be found in the scripture and I want to read that together. It's out of the book of James. 
It's chapter 1 and it's verse 19. And we're going to read it and then I want to offer it. I want to offer it with, with my thought, my understanding. You don't have to see it that way, but I just want to offer it that way. It may be helpful to you. It reads like this. Everyone must. I mean, did you hear the word must? Once again, this is absolute. I mean, must. This isn't something that's just a suggestion like, hey, you might want to check this out. But it's a must for every one of us. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now that's how it's written there, but you have to understand this was not written in English. It's been translated. That word and doesn't exist. So if you read it in a literal translation, it would say everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and to anger. Be slow to anger. Slow to anger. I want us to look at it as a cause and an effect. A literal translation would read, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. When I read that, when I process it, how I personally see it is if I can be quick to hear and slow to speak, I will be slow to anger. Quick to hear plus slow to speak equals slow to anger. It's like a math problem. If I take quick to hear and I add it to slow to speak, I'm going to get slow to anger. Quick to hear plus slow to speak equals slow to anger. And in my life, as provocation comes in to try to pull me into a state of anger or a mentality that's angry that would lead to, to vindictive reaction, I have to remind myself, I need to listen, I need to be quiet. And it will lead to a slowness to arrive at anger. Easier said than done. But yet we're all called. Everyone must. Will you just say everyone must? Everyone must. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak. And the result will be slow to anger. Now when things come into our lives, we talked about this a little bit yesterday at the men's group. When things come into our lives, the tendency is to react. And we talk about it even in science class when we talk about physics and things like that. And you've got to understand that I'm going way back, right? I mean, we're talking like back to grade school. But for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. And so in our lives, we deal with that. Somebody comes up and they say something, they spout off, they do something, and there's the reaction. You hit me, I hit you. You slander me, I slander you. You know, you do this to me and you, do, you get this back. There's a reaction and we are called as believers not to react, but rather to respond. In any situation or circumstance, when we're hurt, when we are provoked, when we're pushed, when we're slandered, we're not called to be those that react. We're called to be those that respond. In fact, we've been given the Holy Spirit and that's a tremendous responsibility. And I want you to think about that word for a moment. That carrying the Spirit of God, the anointing of Jesus Christ, is a responsibility. If I take that word and I just look at the word responsibility and, and, and study the word and its structure, I see two things. I see respond and ability. Responsibility is the ability to respond. By God's Spirit, He's given me the ability to respond in my marriage instead of react. 
He's given me the ability to respond with my sons instead of react. He's given me the ability to respond to the one that slanders and curses me instead of react. He's given me the ability to respond to the one that strikes me instead of react. That's the only way that it's right and righteous for Jesus to tell me to turn the other cheek. Because he's equipped me to do so. And he's equipped you to do so. And it leads to success. So we need to have desires. We need to surround ourselves with the right people, people that aren't given to anger. And there's something else that we need to have. We need to have examples. As we pursue success and promotion in God's kingdom, we need to have examples. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus talks about this, and he's talking about teachers. He says, a student is never above his teacher. But everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. The teachers that we have in our lives are the teachers that we become like. The people that we have around us are the people that we become like. Those are the people that we need to to be very wise about. I mean, I think it's very important, and I take it as a tremendous responsibility to function pastorally at Champions Church. I don't want this to sound arrogant in any way, but, but I look at my example and think this is as good as it gets for every man, woman, and child at Champions. If that passage of Scripture is true, there's a tremendous responsibility for me to do everything in my power to be just like Jesus because this will be as good as it gets for anyone at Champions. If they can only be like me, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And I'm committed to make that a good thing. And for you in our lives, as we have need to see God bring promotion into our life, I would ask myself, am I surrounded by good teachers? I desire to have an excellent marriage. There are people that are in my life who have an excellent marriage, and I look to them for their example. I desire to raise wonderful children, so there are men that I've known that have raised wonderful children, and I turn to them for counsel because I want to have an excellent example. In fact, the Scripture tells us to set examples before us. I mean, all of the scripture that's recorded, all of the history, and all of the stories that are written down, these are true stories that God didn't intend to have for just simply good reading. God wasn't wanting to to, to, to compete, excuse me, with Jane Austen and other authors. He wasn't trying to just write a good book that people would enjoy reading. Rather, he's recording all of these historical accounts so that we could have an example to follow. I want to give you a passage of scripture that reveals this. And it's the reason why these passages of Scripture, these areas of our Bible, are important for us to read, know, and understand. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 11, it reads like this. It says, don't be sluggish. I mean, don't be lazy. But be diligent until the very end. Be diligent to what? I mean, what are we supposed to be diligent doing? He goes on to say that. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. And he goes on to list people in the scripture like Abraham, like Sarah, like Noah, like all of these people that we read about. And it's more than just giving us stories and reasons to paint elephants in our nurseries and things like that. God is showing us men who did great things that we're supposed to mimic. We're supposed to mirror. We're supposed to imitate. And we live in a world that preaches originality. You're just not cool unless you're original. But God is telling us, hey, I want you to read this and be just like these people. I want you to look at their story. I recorded it for you and I handed it down from generation to generation so you could read about them and live your life exactly the same way. 
If we're going to have the success that God promises in his kingdom, we need to imitate those who achieve that success. So we need to have desires. We need to separate ourselves from anger. We need to have great uh, teachers in our life that we can imitate. And here's a fourth one that we need. We need to filter our friends. You've got to filter your friends. I'll give you a few passages of scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it really kind of sets the table for this to make perfect sense for every one of us in the room. It's absolute in its statement. It reads like this, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, you don't see many bumper stickers like that, right? They don't sell many of those at the Christian bookstore You just don't see that a lot, but we need to understand that. It's opening up with this urgent call, hey, don't be deceived. And you've got to understand that as Paul is writing this scripture, he's writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's calling for us to not be deceived. That tells me that there's an attempt to bring great deception concerning this topic. Well, I'm a good person. I can hang out with them. As long as I'm influencing them and they're not influencing me, it's okay. He's saying, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Every time. Every time. I'll give you a couple more passages of Scripture here. One out of the Proverbs. I told you before what always leads to ruins, what always leads to destruction, what always leads to failure. Proverbs 18, verse 24, it reads like this. It says, a man of many friends comes to ruin. A man of many friends comes to ruin. If you take that verse and you contrast it with today's culture, it doesn't make sense. Today's culture tells you to compile as many friends as you can. We, we identify our worth by how many friends or followers we have on whatever social media app you're might be uh, uh, working on or, or, dare I say, addicted to. It gets quiet when you talk about social media in church. But a man of many friends comes to ruin. Let me explain what that means. You can have hundreds and hundreds or thousands of thousands of so-called friends, and in the day or the hour of your need, you'll find that you have none. Because friendship requires investment. It requires time. It requires every aspect of who you are. Friendship is a wonderful and powerful thing that does not come easy. Acquaintances, on the other hand, are dime a dozen. You can meet a million people in your lifetime. But you can only sustain a handful of friends. Jesus ministered to masses. He loved on and gave to and cherished and ministered to masses. But he invested in twelve a handful of those who were close to him that he could give his time to and he could receive from them, offer unto them, and develop friendship and deep, meaningful relationship. We need to come back to that understanding and realize that friendship is a powerful thing. I'll give you a passage of Scripture to examine in your own time. It's out of Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, but it talks about the power of friendship. It talks about multiple relationships, brothers and and children. So let me just read to you how it reads. Uh, your brother is your mother's son, and your son or your, uh, your daughter are the children that you cherish. They come from your wife whom you love. And then it goes on to speak of your friend, and it says your friend is as your own soul. 
Your friend is as your own soul. When we enter into friendship with one another, it's a unity and a bond that is absolutely powerful, and we ought to be careful who we enter into that bond with. I would not just simply marry anyone. I would only marry the most incredible, wonderful, beautiful, amazing woman on the earth. We shouldn't just be friends with anyone. Friendship is a wonderful and powerful thing. And we ought to filter those things. We ought to understand the difference between acquaintance and friendship. And we ought to operate in such a way that that understanding is celebrated. If you're curious about friendship, you should understand that friendship is meant to be there in the middle of adversity. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I mean, it sounds like a bad fortune cookie from a Chinese restaurant, right? But the truth is, it's saying that friendship can endure difficulty. Friendship can endure conflict. Friendship can endure uh, adversity. And most of those situations, those wounds that come from a friend, are more valuable and more nourishing to your life than the kisses of an enemy, than the flattering of an enemy. It would be better to have friends who love you and are committed to your success in the midst of of trial or tribulation than it would be to be surrounded by the flattering words of those who couldn't care less whether you made it or not. Psalm 17 verse 7 identifies a friend as this. A friend loves at all times. Jesus said this in John 15 and verse 13 when he was speaking about the greatest measure of love. He said, no greater love has a man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Now that passage of scripture could be a whole series of sermons in and of itself because of all of the content there, but allow me just to use it for this purpose. For Jesus to explain to us the greatest manifestation of love, he had to explain it to us using friendship. That tells you the power of friendship. So for us to walk in the success that God's called us to, that prosperity that we cry out for, having desires, surrounding ourselves with people not given to anger, having great teachers and filtering our friends are all necessary. And I want to end with this. For us to cry out for that prosperity and see it come to pass, we need to think of others first. You've got to put other people first. I told you before we're going to find out who God promotes. Who it is that God is promoting. In any moment, in any situation, in any circumstance, who it is that God exalts. I want to give you a passage of Scripture, really an area of Scripture, that I would encourage you to read in your own time. Philippians chapter 2. Now I'm going to read a few verses from it, but I want to encourage you to read the chapter in your own time. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, it reads like this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. And don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but look out for the interests of others. It goes on to identify that this is the attitude and this is the mind of Jesus Christ, our King, our ultimate example that we're meant to follow after. And then I want to jump all the way down to verse 9. Because all of this mentality is being described, this refusal to be selfish, this mindset to put other people first, and then the result in verse 9. For this reason, God highly exalted Jesus. 
What you and I can take from that is this understanding. That what God did for Jesus, He'll do for you. What God did for Jesus, He'll do for me. I will take on that mentality. When I'm in the midst of trial or tribulation in need of success or advancement as I'm crying out to God to send prosperity, to send advancement, to send success, I will see to it that my attitude is not filled with selfishness but that I can think of other people first knowing that this attitude is promotable in the kingdom of God. That this attitude advances in the kingdom of God. And that this attitude is one that we're all called to walk in as we walk in our lives as Christians. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.